This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. This morning's words of integration and guidance I by Gerald May. It is our human nature to cling to what we love. Letting go is hard to do. There's a saying I've heard in some 12-step circles, everything I ever let go of is covered with claw marks. Yet Jesus said we have to let go of family, of possessions, even our very selves to follow him. We must be willing to follow his example and risk losing everything. And whether we want it or not, loss will come in life. Letting go has to happen. And when it does, we grieve. Grief was clearly a part of Jesus' life. He cried over Jerusalem, and he wept with such heartache at the death of Lazarus that the people said, see how much he loved him. Openness to love means willingness for grief. Our word grief comes from two roots. One means to be burdened, and the other means to be hurt. To be burdened with hurt. <laughs> we all know the feeling. We have all lost people we love, treasured relationships, possessions, images of ourselves, and images of God. And we have all grieved over lost dreams. Christianity suggests that there is always a redemptive possibility in grieving. It is a part of the meaning of the cross. Although it seldom feels like it, grief is an authentic expression of love. Grief is neither a disorder nor a healing process. It is a sign of health itself, a whole and natural gesture of love. This morning's scripture is a rendering of Psalm 116 by Nan Merrill. Receive my love, O beloved, you who hear my voice in my supplication. You incline your ear to me, and I will call upon you with trust for as long as I live. When the snares of fear encompass me, when the pangs of loneliness envelop me, I suffer distress and anguish. And then I call upon you, my rock. O beloved, I beseech you, come to my aid. Gracious are you and just. The heart of all hearts is merciful and forgiving. You raise me up to new life. You dry my tears and guide my feet on straight paths. I invite others to awaken to the joy of your presence. So what shall I render to you for all your goodness to me? I will drink the chalice of love and praise you who has done wondrous things. I will bear witness to you, O bread of life, in the presence of all the people. Precious to you are all who live in love, who abandon themselves into your loving care. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. The Holy Gospel according to Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. 
Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other as you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since all these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. On Thursday, April 4, 1968, Zernona Clayton, friend of the Martin Luther King family, was in Atlanta sitting down to dinner with Sam Caldwell, Georgia's labor commissioner. As they ate dinner, the hostess approached with a discreetly folded slip of paper. Zernona Clayton opened it and glanced at the cryptic message. Have you heard about Dr. King? It said. She refolded the note and kept chatting with the labor commissioner. After a few minutes, the hostess returned. Did you read my note? Yes, 
Clayton said distractedly. Don't you understand, the hostess pressed. He's been shot. Clayton nodded and nonchalantly returned to her dinner. In the years she had known Martin Luther King Jr., she had received reports that he had been attacked, even killed, sometimes as she sat directly in his presence. She chalked up the message as another rumor or distasteful prank. It's not like you say goodbye to someone at the airport and then the next day they're dead, she thought to herself. Only 24 hours ago, dropping King off at the terminal, she had reminded him, call your mother. She wondered now if he had made that call. Turns out he had from the Lorraine Motel in Memphis on that very afternoon and had talked with her nearly an hour. The hostess came back looking distressed. Maybe you should check, Sam suggested. Zernona Clayton called the king home. The line was busy. She called the family's unlisted number. That was busy too. She went back to the table when Sam Caldwell offered to drive her over to the Kings to make sure everything was all right. As they approached the modest red brick house just a few miles west of downtown Atlanta, they noticed two police cars blocking a large Chevrolet in the driveway. In the front seat of one of the cruisers was Coretta Scott King. Her face was barely made up, and she looked uncharacteristically young, anxious, and frazzled, a marked difference from her usual calm demeanor and immaculate grooming. Mrs. King rolled down the window and called out to Zernona, Martin's been shot in Memphis. We're going to the airport. Can you stay with the children? Zernona Clayton hurried into the house. The youngest King child, Bernice, whom everyone called Bunny, was already in bed. The three older children, Yolanda, 12, Martin III, 10, and Dexter, 7, sat in the front room watching television newsmen talk about their father. Less than an hour earlier, the kids had been lounging in the living room when special bulletin flashed across the television screen, and an announcer said their father had been shot. Little Dexter, seven years old, ran to his mother's room to tell her what they had seen, but she was already on the phone. That's just one interesting glimpse into that fateful day told by Rebecca Burns in her book, Burial for a King. We're more familiar with the general facts that on April 4, a Thursday, 1968, the Reverend Martin Luther King stepped down onto the balcony of a Memphis motel and was killed by an assassin's bullet. In Washington, D.C., King's death was announced by radio at 8.19 that Thursday night, and by 9.25, rioters shattered the first window. By midnight, the fire department logged at least 100 blazes. Dozens of other cities were gripped with violence and fires. A nation of people walking, as it were, in a daze. We had hoped he was the one to redeem the nation from its racial turmoil and ugly past. We had hoped his resonant and wise voice would continue to lead us on better paths. We had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped. 
Life has found all of us at some point or another on a road of disappointment, a road of despair, a road of disillusionment. The words of Cleopas, we had hoped, ring through the annals of human history. Unexpected assassinations, the ravages of war, disappointing elections, the daily struggles of making a living, finding meaningful relationships, raising a family, or simply just staying alive. Any of these can find us on that road. Indeed, disappointment might be putting it mildly. Well, in our story, and in this particular instance, there were two of them, the comforting step up from walking this path alone, and some wonder if the unnamed partner was Cleopas's wife. In any case, they're walking to a village called Emmaus. And scholars and archaeologists debate about where this town might have historically been located. But in some ways, that argument is irrelevant. They're simply heading home. The game is up. The big plans dashed. The opportunity missed. It's about seven miles, the text tells us, or 60 stadia, not a short walk. And as they walk, discussing all these things that had happened, a stranger falls into step with them. Now, if you're in the kind of mood these two are in, you're not exactly interested in company. You can imagine them trying to awkwardly ignore this other fellow. And Luke tells us right in the middle of their conversation, Jesus butts in. What's going on? Cleopas is like, seriously, dude, you don't know what's happening? Do you live under a rock? You know, Jesus was tempted to say, well, about that. (laughs) Cleopas continues, are you the only person in the world who doesn't know what's going on? The stranger says, what? What's going on? Here's where Cleopas rolls his eyes and is tempted to just start walking faster. Let's drop this guy. He's not in the mood for it. But his companion, we might imagine, gives him a look that says, come on now, Cleopas, calm down. He really doesn't know what's going on. So Cleopas takes a deep breath. Look, stuff has happened, okay? Shitty stuff, in fact. This guy who'd been gathering a following, who we had been following, was taken down. The usual. Rome nailed him to a piece of wood, and that was that. Man, we had hoped this time. We had hoped this man. We had hoped. Ah, what does it matter? It just sucks, okay? Do you get that? just sucks. I think we do get that. We've been on that walk. The one where your mind is a bit hazy. Things are a bit surreal and the bitter taste of disappointment is strong in your mouth. As Gerald May wrote, we've all lost things. We've all grieved over people we've lost, relationships gone sideways, images of ourselves shattered, images of God fractured, dreams broken. 
pain was fresh for these disciples as they walk on that road to Emmaus. And relating what had happened again to this stranger no doubt only made things worse. Cleopas's partner elbows him. Tell him about the tomb. Tell him about the angels. Oh yeah, well, some of our friends say they went to his tomb and he wasn't there and they saw some angels and stuff, but come on. That's all bunk, you know what I mean? Some of our other friends went to the tomb and they didn't see anything. They keep walking in silence for a few minutes. The stranger then starts up. Hey, maybe you both are looking at this thing all wrong. Maybe this fellow, this Christ, maybe suffering was a part of his path. Maybe it was part of the plan. Remember when God says to Moses that he hears the cries of the oppressed, that he hears the cries of his people? Maybe that's still true. Here, look. And he goes on to share a few insights from the scriptures as they keep walking. Finally, they're at the old olive tree with the awkward, gnarled second trunk growing out of it, and this is where they veer off right to go home. But the stranger continues heading left, making as if he's going north all the way to Galilee. Cleopas and his partner look at him, walking away. They look at each other and then kind of shrug. The kind of shrug that says, what in the world? Everything stinks anyway. Might as well have this guy over. Hey, dude, it's getting late. Our place is just up ahead. Why don't you come join us? Back in their home, which feels a bit depressing, this side of the crucifixion, they light a couple candles. Cleopas's partner pulls the last loaf of bread out of her sack. And Cleopas grabs three wooden goblets and fills them with wine. Around their modest wooden table, the stranger takes the loaf offers a blessing and breaks it, then handing them each a piece. Suddenly they feel a shudder as they grasp the bread. They look at each other, and the light bulb comes on. They look back one last time at their guest and, hey, where did he go? His goblet of wine sits there untouched. Did you? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Was that? I think it was. I know it was. Jesus! They call out in unison. I just knew there was something going on with this guy. The way he was sharing the scriptures, the way he walked and talked, it was like he knew something that we didn't. Wow, just wow. Cleopas drinks down his goblet of wine in one gulp. You know, we should go back. Go back where? She's hoping he's not implying going back to Jerusalem. We should go find the disciples. We should go back to the city. Are you crazy? Seven miles. It's so late. She protests. Well, she softens. Maybe you're right. And back they go. That very hour, Luke tells us. And they find the eleven gathered along with some other friends. And the disciples, as it turns out, were just sharing their own stories of seeing Jesus. And Cleopas and his partner say, us too, we were just walking along and suddenly this guy. And we know the rest of the story. 
a spectacularly told tale. One that reminds us that no matter the depths of our despair, no matter how low we feel, no matter how our plans seem to be dissolving through our very fingers, we are not alone. In some ways, Luke is bringing his story full circle. Earlier in his gospel, he sketches the story of Mary and Joseph out on a walk. Again, about a day's journey from Jerusalem. They had expected Jesus to be with them, but in the inverse of this story, he's not on the road with them. And they then search for him for three days. Now, near the end of Luke's gospel, in this story, another couple is also a day's walk from Jerusalem. They've been agonizing for three days after all these events took place. And the last thing they expect for Jesus, the last thing they expect is for Jesus to meet them on the road. That'd be an odd thing for a dead person to do after all. And yet, in an unexpected reversal, they encounter the risen Christ. And not only is Luke bringing his story full circle, he seems to be bringing an even broader story around. What was the first meal in the Bible? Anybody remember? Fish. No. (laughs) Good try, though. That's very good. So close. An apple. All right. There we go. There we go. Yes. Adam and Eve, right? Eating a piece of fruit. And what happens? The text of Genesis tells us suddenly their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. This tale had been told over and over, emblematic of human, humanity realizing some of its own potential and power and also of its potential for harm and rebellion against each other, against God, against the creation. Now Luke echoes that first meal and writes, He took the bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to them, and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they recognized him. Again, a meal where eyes are opened, but this time open to the presence of divine grace in their midst. A meal this time without shame, without recrimination, a meal centered around sacrificial love reminding them that Jesus remains with them always. Whenever they break bread in his memory, whenever they share food and drink with a guest or a stranger, such meals are sacred, holy events. So does this story mean that the era of loss is over, that our days of grieving are behind us? Not quite. Not quite. We know Rome was still ruling over Israel and in fact would arrive in force and level Jerusalem in around three decades. And we know today people still die. Empires and the powerful of the world still seem to have their way. Hopes are still dashed. Humanity seems far from redeemed. And yet here's the hope as I see it, that despite whatever disappointments come our way related to jobs, money, health, relationships, hopes for a reconciled humanity, 
hopes for a peaceful world and a healthy planet. And if we're honest, it feels like some of those hopes are on life support right now. Yet even in the midst of this, we're reminded that God is right there with us, that Jesus is with us. Despite our disappointments, we are still to welcome strangers into our homes. We're still to offer food and drink, love and care, shelter and company to those in our world who need it. In fact, one of the main lessons of this story, as I understand it, is to serve as a reminder to us that in the very act of mercy and hospitality, we may discover that Jesus himself is among us. Remember, Cleopas and his partner were down in the dumps. And yet they still made space for this stranger. As yet they had no good news to buoy them in this act. They hadn't had their eyes opened yet. They were still in the dark, still in despair. And from that difficult place, they extended grace. And in so doing, in imitating the one they had been mourning, they discovered he was right there with them. And that should give us incredible hope. When we take a similar step of doing what Jesus might have done, seeking justice, feeding a neighbor, welcoming the stranger, loving an enemy, when we do those things, he is alive and well among us in our world. And the kingdom of God is indeed at hand. Similarly, hope for racial reconciliation in this country did not end with the death of Martin Luther King Jr. His life still speaks every time a white person recognizes and learns about the privilege afforded him or her by the color of their skin. His life still speaks every time a police department makes changes for the better because it recognizes that black lives do matter. His life still speaks through all those who carry on the work for a reconciled humanity and speak truth to power. His life, like the life of Jesus, continues to be embodied in real human lives. I'd like to close with a poem from Joseph Ross in his collection entitled Gospel of Dust. This is a poem about or in tribute to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial on the Mall in Washington, D.C. Some of you have been there and seen that. If you have been there and seen that, I want you to picture it. And if you haven't seen it, perhaps you've seen an image. And if you haven't seen an image, imagine this huge piece of rock or granite out of which a figure begins to extend with its arms folded, gazing outward. Figure of Martin Luther King Jr. So hold that image in your mind as I read this poem in closing. If blood could course through stone, his mouth is about to break into words, reading in America's language of bullets. 
If stones could turn to bread, he would bend down to feed us, offering us wheat and wine enough to survive the vocabulary of homelessness, the diction of choosing between the heater and a dinner of toast. If bread could become the body of God, then he would whisper to us a new pledge of allegiance. If the body of God could live in stone, it would look like this preacher whose gaze dares us to stand upright and breathe in this bleeding land. Amen. And namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, 
like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Music